Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Fox 2 News present the Fox Files podcast. Hi there, I'm Fox Files investigator Mitch McCoy. Thanks for either clicking play and watching or listening to us on your podcast streaming platform. This is an opportunity for you to go in depth into our investigations and get an understanding of how certain issues or topics are unfolding uh, before you see the final product on our broadcast, uh, usually at nine o'clock during the week. Earlier this week, I had an opportunity to sit down with St. Louis City Justice Commissioner Jennifer Clemens Abdullah. We had an opportunity to talk about health care issues. We had an opportunity to talk about recruiting and security and safety at the facility. Obviously, the City Justice Center has been plagued by a lot of headlines, but the commissioner agreed to this one-on-one -on -one to have a full sit-down conversation talking about the state of the City Justice Center. The good, the negative, we're learning that there, uh, the City Justice Center might be looking at cell phone jammers to try and keep contraband out of the facility. It was an in-depth conversation, 45 minutes, and we're gonna be playing that for you for this week's podcast. So the, the state of the City Justice Center. I think it's progress. progress. Yeah. It's, it's progress, we're moving forward. Uh, we're, we're doing things in a more efficient, uh, just overall better state from the aspect of maintenance, from the aspect of staff, from the act, uh, aspect of detainees, uh, giving them what they deserve. Uh, it's, it's a progress, but we're getting there. You've been on the job since September of 21, right? Correct. Do you think that the City Justice Center is better today than when you were hired? I would think it, it is. I think it's progress. It's, it's a slow progress. It's almost like uh, trying to turn a tanker around in the, that you're driving for the military. And it is because you've got to start from ground zero. And you got to see what was the pros, the cons. What do you keep? Uh, what do you let go of? And it really has been a uh, a big mission, a big mission. But nothing that's not uh, attainable. It's just that uh, we just have it. Ha we have to do it in increments because we. It's almost like going and you take all this medication for a flu, and next thing you know, you're out on the floor because you took too much of it. So what we do is, uh, and what I've kind of did things in a methodical but yet incremental way uh, to try to turn that tank around and get us on a good foot and make the city look better, have a better uh, perception. Uh, but you know, it's just not, we're just one aspect of the city. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to do my best to uh, right the wrongs that were done from when the inmates were hanging out of the uh, windows before I made it here. And I said, huh, what are they fussing about? What are they complaining about? What are their uh, chief concerns? And it was the food. And that was the first thing I attacked when I got here. And I say attack because I was pretty aggressive with it. And I wanted them to, to know that it meant a lot. Instead of giving them whatever they were giving them, I wanted an 80-20 on the meat, on the uh, beef, you know. Uh, and they were like, okay. And so we, for weeks, we met 
uh, and I say week, every Monday we had a standing meeting and, <clears throat> excuse me, for uh, two of the meals we were getting uh, the actual trays that the inmates got and we taste tested them. And so we went through that process because we wanted Did to- Did you eat the food? Yes. And it was good. It had, they said that it was 10 times better because what we did was we compared it to what was there before. Mm -hmm. Even the mere appearance was better. Mm -hmm. And so uh, me and my staff, we got together. We would, we would say, oh, okay, I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna take that, you know. Uh, and, and they really did. I mean, it was a good turnaround for us. Mm -hmm. uh, the inmates, uh, the detainees didn't fuss. They understood. And so what we did was we kind of threw in some brownies, cookies, things like that. And then we also turned around and um, like if it was a special holiday, whether it was Passover, whether it was Ramadan, whether it was uh, whatever religion, whatever holiday that the U.S. celebrates, even if you come to us and you tell us in writing, hey, this is what we're celebrating, as long as it's vetted, we try to cater to it. We, we really want everybody to be inclusive. We want everybody to learn how to get along. And we know that the first day of incarceration is, uh, is the first day that uh, whether you're convicted or not, whether you're pretrial or not, it's the first stage for you to become a better person. Sure. So in doing so, providing better food helps. Yeah. What are, it's mid-February, so yes. what are some of your goals for 2024? Oh my God, um, some of my goals are uh, just to keep improving. Try to get things where um, it's muscle memory, where it's not so, um, uh, changing the culture, still changing the culture, still progressing. Just, I don't think, um, once someone once said, if you ever stop learning, you're dead. So I don't think, I, I want to learn every increment of this jail. I want to improve every aspect of it. Will it be perfect? No. But I think that uh, me putting forth the effort and the staff seeing me put forth the effort helps and I, I say helps, uh, because when they see the motivation from me, it gives them the motivation to be better. Uh, contraband has been a big issue. Yes. Um, what are some of the efforts to keep contraband out? I know you guys just purchased some, some body scanners. Body scanners, um, uh, drug machines. Um, um, we've worked well with SMMPD. When our machines confirm that it is what it is, we um, let them go take it to their lab. And you know it's a process, and then we figure out how we're going to charge, who we're going to charge, uh, where it was at. But of course, those are done in the early stages, uh, figuring out where it was. But um, just coming up, have some. We we were uh, coming up with some new uh, other scanners too, more like metal detectors. Any event, you know, to detect anything, any shanks, mm -hmm. uh, anything that could be detrimental to another detainee from a detainee. Uh, we're just doing a lot of things. It's not just one aspect. It's, it's a whole bunch. And Director Coyle said that you guys are in the process of, of getting a couple more body scanners. Yes. Have those arrived? No. Do it's you know a process. When I say it's a process, um, this is a city entity. And just like with the feds, just like with uh, city government, federal government, you have to put it out for bid. you got to make sure every cross, uh, T is crossed, every I is dotted. So when we do uh, actually get the bids back, then we can proceed with getting some uh, scanners in. Do you know when additional body scanners will arrive? I do not as of yet. Okay. I don't have a okay. estimated time. Soon, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. The body scanners are obviously are just one part of an entire system 
to help you keep contraband out, including drugs. Um, how does that constantly evolve? Well, uh, it constantly evolves uh, by way of learning from other facilities, learning from the detainees. Uh, when I talk to them, they'll tell me certain ways that they do things, uh, not intentionally, of course. Um, but you know, when you're walking inside of a correctional facility, whether it's a jail or a prison, it's always good to have your listening ears on. Uh, it's evolving just uh, like it used to be, I think on a federal level, they do cell phone jammers. Uh, we're trying to get the uh, permission to get cell phone jammers because inmates are getting cell phones in. Um, and it's just been problematic and it's helped facilitate their drug, uh, the drugs that are coming inside of the facility. Yeah. Uh, what's the process for the cell phone jammers? How does that work? Um, well, uh, if the federal gov government gives us the approval, we set them up and it will not allow any kind of communication. Uh, I, we, did it, um, we did it in one of the federal institutions that I worked in, and not a cell phone jammer. We actually detected, um, we had it set up and we did a observation you would be amazed at how many people have cell phones inside of a prison or a jail. And I think that we should do the same thing here. And that way we can, it can help get the approval to get the jammers. So um, speaking of cell phones, and I know this was a big topic of the conversation at the Public Safety Committee mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago um, with the new policy about um, banning cell phones involving attorneys mm -hmm. um, during those meetings. You had promised to look back at that policy. Have you, and are there changes coming? I am looking into it. I'm, I'm gathering more information because we're not stopping them from bringing information. We're not stopping them from bringing um, laptops, iPads, things like that. They can still communicate. And actually, I think that detainees would appreciate it if they could have something they see. Because uh, you, you have a cell phone, it's yay big, but you get an iPad or a laptop. You know, they open it up and they can see what's going on. And I think that's a lot better for a detainee anyway, but it does help us minimize. But it was not just directed uh, toward uh, attorneys. It was directed toward everyone uh, that comes inside the building. So it wasn't just a, a, uh, uh, an attorney attacked or anything like that. Okay, but in that policy, you are looking at it. Though? Yes. Mm -hmm. Where does because it stands right now? It's no cell phones and, and the attorneys and I guess everyone else, right? Yes. Okay. Um, do you anticipate changes coming this month related to that policy? Uh, we're still looking at them. Uh, it should be some progress on it. Okay. Um, I'm collecting data from other yeah. municipalities, from the federal level, a lot of other places because we, you know, a lot of places don't. Prohibit. I mean, they don't permit them at all. Um, I even found as recent as some case law where uh, the attorneys were, their legal mail was going through a scanner to get to the inmates on their tablets um, because of the introduction of uh, K2 uh, on sprayed on the paper. I don't know if you've heard of K2 have, before. Yeah. And it's been a big uh, to-do in the feds, mm -hmm. in the state, in the jails. And I just found out uh, and researching some of the uh, cell phone, in, uh, bringing cell phones in by attorneys, I found out that they uh, filed with the Supreme Court, I think it was, uh, and they tried to get it where they could get, the attorneys could get certain things, and they said, no, they dismissed the case. Uh, I have to look at it. I got the case on my desk. It's just, you have to, at some point, 
protect everyone. And I say protect everyone because when you allow cell phones to get in to do transactions for drugs, it facilitates when they do come in, an inmate get the drug and they may hallucinate to a point where they stab and kill someone inside of a correctional facility and nobody wants to get a call like that. I know I wouldn't. So that's why it's, you know, I'm trying to be uh, fair across the board and trying to be within the realms and the laws and the rules and regulations. But you do see where uh, some of the concern came uh, from when the policy was implemented after the Riverfront Times article and the timing of when the policy went into effect and the photo of the inmate. Um, did that have anything to do with the cell phone policy? It did not. Well, it contributed to it, but the day before we had just found an iPhone 13. Okay. So, and I'm like, how are you getting a brand new phone? Uh, so we had to do something because we know some of our places are most vulnerable places, and that was one of our most vulnerable places. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just, no, it, that contributed to it, uh, but it was, it was already something that was coming down the pipeline. Do you, so the, um, talking a little bit about recruiting um, and, and some of the, the more or less, I'm still somewhat new to St. Louis too. Are they deputies or are they corrections officers? Correctional officers. Correctional officers. Okay. So um, w what are you doing, I guess, in terms of getting new correctional officers hired? Uh, and what type of recruiting efforts are underway? The recruiting efforts are, uh, we've did some videos, uh, thanks to the Public Safety Division. We've, uh, we've did, shot a several videos throughout the building. Uh, it's really been helpful because most of the staff we've picked up have uh, said, hey, we've seen the recruitment videos. It was, it's really, I can't underestimate what uh, the city has done as a whole. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing to recognize that you have to make their pay comparable. Uh, you have to make the city safe at the same time. So in doing so, you raise the salaries, which was good. Our starting salary is about 46000 um, We got a retention uh, bonus of, if you make it past your six months, um, of 3500 If a city employee recommends you, they get $500, as long as their name is on the paperwork that you fill out that gets a referral. Um, it's, it's actually a really, uh, I'm so glad and thankful that everybody, and it took me a minute to, uh, you know, scream and yell and, and say, hey, we need some help over here. But, you know, I think um, at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you want the bad guys to be held accountable. But we want the people that's guarding them to be uh, feel worthy too. But I do uh, make them feel worthy every day I walk through the building. I make it my business to know their name, to talk to them, to see how we can improve yeah. the building too. Do you know what the starting salary was before it was 46000 30, it might have been 34. Okay. Thirty-four thousand. Is it is forty-six thousand enough? It's never enough. When you're a correctional officer, um, and I started as a correctional officer, it's a very uh, time-consuming job. It's a job that is like um, uh, you you have to be able to think on your feet. It's a very fluid environment. It's a it's one where you can pick up a lot of information. You can learn a lot of things. It can help you promote up. Uh, but it's not, a, it's not an easy job because by nature of the situation, you are in a stressful environment. And you, you don't really, it's an unknown stress and you can't figure out why you're gaining weight. You can't figure out why you're feeling the way you feel sometimes. And so that's why um, 
letting the staff know it's okay to seek employee assistance program to talk about what's going on because it enhances or exacerbate issues you may have at home because you're, you're taking someone's tension that may be in jail and they may not be guilty but they're in jail for murder right so they're under a certain amount of stress they transfer that stress to the correctional officers and the correctional officers take it home so the inherent the the environment is just so um, it's just it's it's tension driven yeah. and so that's why uh, we incorporated where the staff talk to the uh, detainees instead of utilizing OC instead of um, always you know uh, getting c combative bring it down talk to them uh, we're doing a correction uh, communication one-on-one uh, we're implementing that in our new uh, annual training we're talking to the new cadets that are coming in about it because I think our best tool is our communication and so it just will help overall uh, your home life and your work life mm -hmm. to be able to communicate not just communicate but communicate effectively yeah. uh, and, and this is it's an environment that we we got a guy coming in uh, volunteered uh, to do meditation uh, to we had a lady coming in also helping with um, the detainees with uh, their anger they're doing this and so we're we're trying to teach them how to deal with things that they normally would just fight about it mm -hmm. uh, so we're doing so many things it's not just the, the correctional officers we're trying to help we're trying to help the detainees too. because they're not convicted right correct R correct that's why I'm saying we're, we the first day of incarceration whether it be pretrial or not is the first day that you should try to enhance yourself become motivated to do something else because you may get a no bond but I, I offer the avenue of this when you get a no bond if you've shown that you haven't been ridden up you show that um, you've abided by the rules even if you haven't you justify the reason why because everybody is not right all the time but you write me a letter and you tell me and and it's called a letter to the commissioner um, one guy he got out and he, he was able to get bond um, and he said I really want to appreciate you for writing the letter for me I think we take for granted that um, people are not watching we I'm watching I'm everywhere and I want them to know that and uh, I just as last week or so I wrote for three three letters to three uh, different uh, uh, judges to help reduce their bond uh, because they have did well they've uh, worked in food service uh, they've did what they're supposed to do and we want to help those that want to help themselves and those that are not we want to identify them mm -hmm. and I, I to say uh, identify them when I came here there were only 20 inmates uh, that were being observed for mental health um, so um, when I was getting uh, notifications about uh, throwing a urine and feces or, or something where the inmate had been or detainee been combative I uh, invoked uh, mental health that has went a long way so we went our observation from 20 to over 200 and I think that has helped tremendously it's helped lower uh, the stress level it's helped lower uh, help us identify who really needs that help and in the end it just really overall just helped the Justice Center become better and I, I don't think that was there before that yeah. was an element that was missing uh, how many vacancies are there we have over a hundred hundred you've been hesitant to say that in the past yeah. why and why say it today um, and looking at what why say it today versus uh, before when you look at the numbers uh, we had probably 2,500 inmates uh, previously it was before COVID 
our numbers are down. They've been down for since I've been here. Um, and so with that, when you have less inmates, you need less staff. But now that we're getting to a point where everybody's being held accountable, we're increasing our staffing. Um, a lot of people, a lot of the negative press that's been provided has driven a lot of people away uh, from that even want to seek corrections. Because, um, and, and I, I understand uh, when you get negative press, even if it's just a sound bite or two. And in the city, news travels fast. And I was, I was like, oh, I wish I, we could do something better. So, you know, when they came up with the idea of doing a recruitment video, it helped us out tremendously because it didn't just show what was in the news media. It showed, hey, some of the good things that we do. Uh, so I have been hesitant, but in doing the numbers, I figured out that we had more inmates, so therefore we needed more staff. Meaning you're, you're in this maybe desperate mode to get people in? Um, not really desperate mode. I okay. wouldn't say desperate. We, we, do we need them? Yes. Uh, have we been able to manage? Yes. But I think that uh, the negativity drove people away. So to, to that point, um, when you look at, and you're talking about communication and, and how you, you're, you're trying to be open even with inmates and, and being, um, I think the word you used was communicative. Um, do you think the City Justice Center is being transparent enough with the community? Well, let me say it like this. Uh, we're being as transparent as we can be. Um, we say not transparent enough, but you look at the other jails, uh, other facilities. Um, no, nobody has free reign to come up inside because of the nuances, the things you have to go through to get there. Um, the safety measures, the security measures, um, things that have to be vetted prior to. Uh, there's rules and regulations for every jail. And in doing so, as long as those are abided by, I think we can get to the end game of where some people may want certain things. Um, but we shouldn't, you shouldn't have anybody at every corner of a jail that's not a correctional officer, that's not someone that works in the facility. Um, and I say that because it's just um, people are people and you can't control them. But when you can control the environment, you can, you, you change in a culture, you can kind of know what you can and can't do. But nothing in a f correctional facility, whether you go, I don't care where you go to, there's nobody coming in and out like they want to. It's just not, it's just not, that's why we have rules. When we work inside the rules, I think we can really go far. Uh, and, you know, rules and regulations should drive us from day one when we're little. And that's what we want to teach the guys that are coming in here as detainees. You know, hey, we want to teach them it's time to go, it's a certain time to go to, you know, go inside your cell, no more TV, because we have to, um, teach them how people live on the outside because some of them haven't been exposed to that and that's a part of it even though it's a small thing it's actually a big thing because when they go they go wow I don't know why I'm so sleepy at midnight well it's time to go to, go to sleep you know mm. it's, it's, and, it, and it helps them become a better employee when they seek employment it helps them uh, to say hey I've been a part of the uh, justice system, system. I'm a justice-involved individual, but I learned this. This helped me learn how to be mm -hmm. a better employee. 
And when you can say and do things like that, I think it makes for a better city. So when you talk about the vacancies and, and <laughs> over 100 vacancies right now, mm -hmm. um, I've been told that sometimes um, there will only be a dozen people, employees, working in a shift and that uh, mandated overtime is being utilized. Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through how that works and how often are you relying on mandated overtime? I can't, um, I won't qualify how many people are on the ship, but what I will say is uh, mandatory overtime has always been, um, it's always been in place. Uh, we've Here had, at the CJC uh -huh. or in general? Uh, CJC. Okay. Uh, CJC and the NX, uh, the policies uh, are there uh, to prove it. And so, um, you know, when I made it here, they were mandating people but before then, even before I made it, they were still doing it. It's just a common practice because the uh, security of the building is, is first and foremost. And we just want to make sure that everybody's safe. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. And I, it's just a part of uh, being in corrections. It happens at the federal level. We used to implement it too. Uh, so it's not an unknown factor. It's just a factor because we're, we're dealing with a, a workforce that is that people like to work from home. Well, in corrections, uh, you don't work from home. You got to have that direct contact. And I think it's good when it's productive, that contact. Mm -hmm. But uh, corrections has always been a direct contact type situation. Yeah. Do, do you hope to get to a point where you don't have to rely on mandated overtime? Yes. Or, or have you given up on that thought? No, it's always a, a let me say, it's always uh, a thought to put it in like a, a wish list, uh, but it's almost like saying, are you going to have a perfect environment? No. But what we can do is we can work toward it and with efforts, I think that we can improve some things. I mean, uh, that's why I say it's, it's so many aspects of corrections when I came here um, that people just don't know about. And when you correct those small little things, they affect the big things, which may affect mandatory overtime. But, you know, that's why I'm trying to get it where we're talking to the detainees and seeing, hey, what you need, what you don't need, what's going on. Because uh, if we can help them get out into the community, it'll maybe lessen our numbers. And may maybe they may get a job that helps the city as a yeah. contractor or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, overtime is, I think, is a necessary uh, thing that we just have to have, yeah. you know. Let's, can we talk about health care? Sure. Because I know that's a big, that's a big issue. Yes. Um, what's the, what's the health care situation? Well, we got a new contractor. Uh, we recently hired a chief medical officer uh, that oversees uh, the health care uh, contractor. And they're an emergency contractor. So right. we're waiting to get the bids on that July. Uh, and I say we, because we are doing it as a city, which is good. That's how long bids are open till for that? Well, not previously, but uh, it should be because it's a comprehensive okay. uh, contract. And it has been a, um, as you know, this has been a long process. Yeah. I appreciate uh, Dr. Mahdi, I appreciate the mayor's office and their support, uh, Chief Cole, because it really is a group effort. Um, trying to get it where you're identifying these people in, that's coming in, and maybe the correctional environment is not for them and we can follow them into the mental health uh, system or wherever they need to be because it may have been precipitated by something other than just a mere conducting, uh, doing a crime. Yeah. And so 
it has really been a wonderful thing. And we, like I said, we just inked uh, the chief medical officer. I think they start in less than two weeks. It's been a process. The chief okay. medical officer starts in two weeks. Yes. Okay. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be helpful. Uh, it's going to be really um, something that we've needed for so long. Um, will the chief medical officer have an office here? Yes. Okay. Okay. And a CJC employee or Department of Health? Department of Health. Department. Of, okay. All yes. Right. Um, have you guys announced who that is yet? I don't think she has. Okay. okay. I don't think uh, Dr. Mighty has announced it. Is it a doctor? It is. It is a doctor. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, it sounds like they're, it, based off the city's release, when they were announcing um, the end of the previous healthcare provider and announcing the new one, that there have been a lot of issues with the previous health contractor. At what point did you realize this relationship isn't working with the City Justice Center? Well, I can't say I really recognized. Um, I think that um, looking at, when I came in is looking at all the contracts. Um, they had been extended, I think, and we figured, okay, it's time for us to see what's out there. I didn't know um, any issues. I, I tell you, it was, a. Uh, I had various things. I had probably, you know, a, a stove only has four eyes for a reason, right? Well, I probably had 10 or 12. And I say that because there's so many aspects of running a correctional environment. You have medical, you have PD, you have pretrial, you got the courts, you got the sheriff's department. You got all these things that are intertwining with one another and sometimes you don't know and you got to get to the why. And it, it has taken me this long to kind of get to the why. And I think, um, I don't, I, I can't really just say it was just that, uh, just healthcare. It might have been a little bit of everything, and even the Taney played a role. So us getting a new provider, a good emergency contractor, uh, was probably good just to break the monotony. Uh, right now we even got a, um, a bid out for um, food service. Uh, that is, uh, it's not because we have we we don't like them or something's wrong is we've reached the end of the contract life and we have to put it out for the bid and so um, i think it's always a good thing hearing from the department of health though it sounds like there were a lot of issues with the previous contractor how did you not know that there was an issue i'm I, i'm just going to refrain from uh responding and i and i say refrain from responding for litigation purposes um, there, because the city is suing them, I, I'm not. I, I'm not going to comment. But what I will say is this: um, there were issues. Uh, they were brought up. Uh, were they addressed appropriately? I'm not sure. Um, I just, I just, at the end of the day, I just wanted the detainees to get what was best because I didn't want anybody to ever suffer. And if we see something from a correctional environment and we relay it to medical. We wanted to be responded uh, to and not just waved off. And yeah. uh, we we want everybody to be treated like human. And I, right. I say that. And I, I mean, and people underestimate um, when you're in a correctional environment, things become white noise, right? You, it's just kind of people talking, yelling, or whatever. It becomes just norm. And we want people to listen. You don't have to necessarily respond, but if somebody's yelling for something, go and see what's going on. So. It's, it's, 
I, I just want them to tap into the human aspect of it because you become jaded after a while working in a correctional environment. And um, I, when it comes to healthcare, I just think um, the city deserves better. Um, it's going to always be issue in a correctional environment uh, issues, and I say that because you get people, excuse me, that um, have have not did the nicest things on on the outside, and so when they come in, you have to identify, and they don't want they're they're most of the time are not forthcoming about their history with drugs and alcohol, and so that creates a problem in itself. Um, when it comes to so, so the, the bid right now is still open, and, but you're under the emergency contract now? Yes. Okay, all right. When it comes to, to um, gear mm -hmm. that officers have, I've heard that some of the gear isn't adequate, um, like stab vests. Are you looking at getting additional equipment? When did that come about, stab vests? I, well, I've heard that they don't have stab vests. Well, um, I would... I would have to ask the question, why is it necessary? Um, I use historical data. Mm -hmm. um, in the feds, we use historical data, we'll say three years. I'll go back 10 or 12. Um, we wore staff-proof vests in the federal system. I did as an associate warden. Um, is it needed? Is it a, you know, it's a give and take. We're dealing with pretrial people. We're trying to allow people to become better. Um, so, I have not elected to give them staff-proof vests. We do have OC. Um, we want them to teach to uh, teach the staff to deal with people in an effective communication way. Um, does it occur? Yes. Um, but from me being here the last two, going on two and a half years, I've had one staff stabbed in the face. I've had a probably three or four that's been punched in the face. So nothing that's actually in the body um, that would warrant a stab-proof vest. Meaning if, if you had elected to give stab-proof vests, yeah. it wouldn't have made any difference in the injuries? Correct. Okay. And, and I, I want to be honest because I want to be um, a good steward of the city's money. Uh, I don't want to buy anything that the staff is, is going to make them hot. Um, it's going to make the city have to spend money every three to four years because they have a life. Uh, and then if I buy it, it's mandatory for them to wear it. You can't opt to wear it one day and, and say no to the next day. We have to look at all those parameters. We got, and, and people don't understand that it's a process. And when I say it's a process, we've got to get the union involved. We have to have the backing of the mayor's office. We've got to look at everything. I don't think that they will uh, object to it being a safety measure. But I have to be, like at the end of the day, I, I really have to look at what has happened. How am I being a good steward of the city's money? And buying that would probably help, but it would probably be just more of a hassle. Are you guys looking at using any funds for recruiting to billboards outside of you know, the, some of the recruitment videos? Are you looking at spending any funds for that? Um, that has not been a... a Avenue. We've used a lot of social media. Um, we want to. We want to. At the end of the day, I, I, I say this because I come from. You know, we have to be a good steward of the city's money. And will we get somebody that wants to travel three hours or move into the city? I don't know. Um, 
you know, it's, uh, the crime rate drives a lot of people out. I just want, I, I just want people that's local to come. Even though we have raised the residency requirement, I think it'll be helpful to get some new blood or new people. But we got young people that are turning 18 every day uh, that we're welcoming in. And I think going to a billboard may be just a waste of money. Really? Well, let me say, I say waste of money. You tell me how many billboards you look at versus your phone. <laughs> I just, I just have to ask. Yeah. I mean, I, everybody looks at yeah. their phone even when they're driving. But, yeah. but are you? Have you thought about using any funds for recruiting, whether it be social media ads or, or anything? Are any funds going toward recruiting? Um, we have did things that are recruiting uh, efforts. Uh, have we looked at putting back funds for that? On a uh, public safety uh, level, I think we have. Uh, but not from a division of corrections gotcha. aspect. Okay. okay. Um, when you look at the um, efforts to keep contraband out, mm -hmm. you had mentioned the forty-six thousand. Yeah, you of course you'd want more. You know, in terms of starting pay. Do you think correctional officers are bringing drugs in to supplement for their lack of pay? From my history and being in corrections almost 35 years, drugs being bought in are, is not necessary because they're supplementing income. Are they doing it to survive in jail? The inmate is. What about the corrections officer? Uh, I hope not. Um, I look at things from, uh, from my past experiences um, that I've had to deal with as exec staff coming from my previous uh, uh, 29 years and most staff bought in drugs or whatever, maybe because they got into a predicament, uh, being too close with a detainee or inmate. That takes on a whole monster in itself. Uh, that's why I go and I talk to the officers in their cadet training, in their an annual training. Um, it's a book that we have, I oftentimes reference, we used it in the Bureau of Prisons oftentimes, and it, it just helps people be aware, and it can start with simple as, hey Mitch, can I use your pen? And you let them use your pen, and you never get the pen back. So I'm trying to teach our officers, hey, just be aware, whatever you do. Take a pen that you're gonna, let, that an inmate is authorized to use, and put that in your uh, pen lapel, and let them use that. That way, if you don't get it back, it's not, it's not as if they're having contraband. Mm -hmm. So do you have some, in the past that I'm used to that may have supplemented their um, income? Yes, but most of the time it's because they've gotten too close. That's why we have to make sure we rotate inmates uh, when it comes to job duties. That's why we have to rotate staff when it comes to having them in a particular spot for mm -hmm. too long. Um, it's, a, it's, it's not just a one, uh, a one you can't just say they're doing it to supplement income. You can't just say an inmate is doing it because they want drugs. Um, some people find lo love in all the wrong places. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you had mentioned um, the HVAC system; mm -hmm. it's been updated. Yeah. Fire, not suppression. fire alarm, but fire suppression. Mm -hmm. um, and and some of the things that are just gradually happening to yes. to, to to make the whole overall uh, structure of the building, safety of the building, better. Yes. Um, why not show people? 
some of those improvements? Um, the same reason you have car dealerships like Mercedes, like BMW. They don't tell you how to work on their cars. You have individual people that may say, this is how you do this. You do that to protect the work product. But respectfully, all of those things and all those improvements are being paid for by taxpayer money. Yes. However, you got to look at it from a standpoint is it's not necessarily the grandmothers that are listening. It's the grandmothers talking to their grandsons and granddaughters that are relaying information. We don't mind the taxpayers really knowing, but we do mind taxpayers knowing the integral internal workings of things. Um, let, me, let me ask you something. Would you put your password to your security code at your house out? Of course not. Why? Because you don't want anybody to come in on you. Okay. That's why we don't. But other jails do. We're not other jails. So, and I don't, looking at it from, and especially being in the media, you see where the federal system in terms of shutting down communication and, and um, opening the doors, that doesn't usually happen on the federal side. What are you speaking about? Um, uh, comments about investigations or um, prisons, for an example. Um, that's just the feds. I mean, they don't comment on anything. Right. Um, but but local municipalities have always usually strived on having that open relationship. Do you think that part of your decision making is based off of a, the operations of a federal prison and not working in a local municipality? Well, yes and no. Recently, uh, Director Peters uh, from the Bureau of Prisons came inside of a federal prison and gave access to the inmates. Uh, they did an interview. Mm -hmm. First time, I think, in forever, they did something like that. I watched it. It was on 60 Minutes. I have never seen anything locally within the 50-mile radius, and please, uh, enlighten me and uh, give me some knowledge and let me know who did it because I, I want to be fair with the city of St. Louis but I don't want to be a disadvantage for the people that work inside of this environment and, and I say be a disadvantage I, I don't want to put information out that could hinder what we're doing mm -hmm. uh, how we're doing things now people may talk about it after the fact we may have some litigation that may be pending that may be another reason why information is not readily available. And I, I think if uh, the city of St. Louis constituents, uh, the people, haven't learned anything, I hope they've learned that I'm a good steward of their money. I'm trying to do everything within the rules and regulations because that's what drives everything. If we learn how to comply with the rules and regulations, the better the city, the better the division of corrections, the better uh, everything. We've just been at the city, at the Division of Corrections. We've been low-hanging fruit for the media. And I want everybody to just understand that everybody's trying. We're trying. We just need your help in understanding that it's not normal. Uh, uh, everybody is not in jail. It's not a normal situation. But what we're trying to do is make uh, their stay here, the detainees stay here, a normal like every, everybody else. So we've worked with the courts. We've worked with uh, circuit attorney's office. We're working with everybody to say, what can we help? How can we get the uh, detainees ready to go to court? 
Do you need readily, uh, more access? What's going on? Excuse me. And so with that, we may be abnormal. I don't know, but when I talk to the other municipalities, I've been in contact with them. We've had meetings, informal meetings, to try to figure out how can we be on one accord, uh, what they're doing, what we're not doing. Uh, a lot of things that I'm finding out, they're finding out from me uh, and taking lead on some things, and I'm finding out from them some things like the amnesty box in St. Charles that they have. Uh, we usually will give anybody a pass that's coming from the street because um, and, and give them that amnesty anyway uh, unless they're real combative and you know uh, when they come in right. and then they in being combative uh, a bag of dope falls out of meth you know then that's a different story So do you guys have the amnesty box now we have not uh, we're in the process of buying one I okay. said that a couple about a month or so ago we have not purchased the amnesty box yet Okay. Um, have there been any recent deaths? No, no, not since December. And that was like the half day where the healthcare provider, it was right, the healthcare provider started and it was like within hours of that. Yes. Of the new they, healthcare Yeah, provider. December, they started December 1st yeah. and the death occurred on December. Okay. Uh, we started on, de yeah, December 1st and the death occurred on December 3rd. So. Is there anything else um, that, that, you want to add or anything that I missed that you want to make sure you include or, or anything like that? We're working. We're working. I, I, I would love to have more staff. I would love to be fully staffed. Um, we got a lot of people aging that are retiring. Uh, we got one guy that had been here over 10 years and he died. Uh, good worker. I, you can't replace the work ethic. Um, but he wasn't expecting to die. He just went to the emergency room and they said he just passed away. But I when did wish that happened? That happened uh, in December, I think. Because okay. we went to his funeral. I went to his funeral. I try to make it to all my staff funerals. Yeah. But um, it's just really, we just, we want some good work ethic. Yeah. Uh, people with good work ethics, diligent. Um, you don't have to come with a lot of experience. Uh, if I had anything to say is, uh, let the people know we're we're open for business always 24/7. We need good staff. We need good staff with character and integrity um, to help us build where we're going. Because all the bad media, we need to offset it with something good. And I appreciate you coming out and giving us this opportunity to say what good that we do offer. Because it is a good environment. I just think everybody want to be treated like people. And once we treat everybody like people, we'll be okay. You got those people that are going to be the bad actors, but that's when you, your eyes, ears, your sound, your nose plays a role, and you say, huh, I sense something's going on. And when you sense that, then you call for help or do what you need to do to make, to make the situation better. Yeah. But I, I think uh, I, I just want uh, better employees, yeah. uh, not better, uh, more employees. Yeah. I think it'll help us. Yeah. Good deal.